from Freie Universität Berlin, I'm Jonas Benz, and this is the Affect and Colonialism podcast. Since their inception as an art form, films have been structured by a colonial way of seeing. Specific arrangements and depictions of bodies reproduce colonial fantasies of the other of Europe. Recently, more and more visual artists explore alternative aesthetics that resist the colonial gaze. Today, we talk with filmmaker Arjun Raj about the practices and effects of decolonial filmmaking. Arjun, welcome. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to be yeah, given this space to discuss these ideas. Yeah. Absolutely. So Arjun, let's start with the problem, maybe. Mm -hmm. So what kind of colonial aesthetics and colonial practices do you find present in film today? Mm -hmm. uh, to answer your question, Jonas, first of all, I would just try to make a few boxes, even though it doesn't, uh, it's not there, but still for our discussion, uh, uh, the form of fiction film, the form of non-fiction film, and the form of films that happen in the between. So I would, for today's discussions, focus a bit more on the non-fiction genre. Yes, specifically, for sure, documentaries and uh, what's it called, uh, the anthropological or ethnographic films. Uh, this, this particular film practices emerge very much from what we call the colonial gaze or the need to have the, the from the need to produce knowledge from the the center like the colonial centers of knowledge production let's say and when we say that like to put it quickly film started in france the film practice of, uh, started in france it's a very it has its genesis in europe but having said that uh, my roots are in india i grew up in india and india is one of the countries having producing the largest number of films in the world in an year. So we have a very strong film culture. Uh, I'm not even talking about the visual culture, the very film culture, which is con consumed by more than half of the world today. So, um, so maybe for the discussion, my references would be for sure films from India that I grew up with and also the films that we consume from the West or we are made to consume from the West. So yeah, that's kind of the introduction for, for the discussion. And uh, to quickly jump to answer your question, yes. I'll focus on, as I was saying, nonfiction or ethnographic films or anthropological films with, uh, to put a larger umbrella to it. Uh, yes, it started, let's say, when the so-called anthropologists from the West uh, with for sure their interest in the Orient or in the indigenous cultures that is not in Europe. Uh, it started with the writing culture and then when the, the devices and instruments of film were not too cumbersome, then the, it, it invaded the same practice too. So having said that, a lot of explorers, the then academicians, uh, took their cameras with them to the, to the spaces they were studying and started filming them. And I think that's from where we can trace back to, to where these aesthetics were born, emerged and are perpetuated today. 
So this is something Sarka, let's say, 50s, 60s, you know, like when, when these, these practices emerged, when these aesthetics started coming up. And, and I would say the soul of it, the genesis and of, of such film practices is othering. Uh, when, when I say othering, because here is somebody who comes to your home with, with this phenomenon of a device wanting to literally, in, in the words of some of the indigenous tribes, capture your soul, mostly without your permission, without your agency, and, and not even for themselves. And because these, these, these images, these sounds are captured and taken away and reproduced and studied and, and passed on in a space that they are not part of. So this is from where I think uh, yeah, these are the few ideas that I would want to expand uh, when it comes to colonial aesthetics and when it comes to the specific uh, modes by which me and practitioners like me want to counter it. So, yeah, that's, that's I think, the beginning of answering your question. Of, yeah. Yeah, so you describe then basically this practice of ethnographic filmmaking as one important historical starting point for the colonial gaze. And you say that at the core of this filming practices is othering. And I would assume that these, um, this othering in filmmaking is also translating into an aesthetics of othering. So um, how do these other images look like? When it comes to ethnographic films or the films from back then, you could see that uh, these images were produced for sure, like the, the camera was set up somewhere or, or, and, and images are captured about, I don't know, their daily routines or activities, most of the time even without people's consent. And then somebody else will explain it to you what was happening so this is kind of let's say the aesthetics these black and white films where this voice tells you what is happening about i don't know this one let's say a woman carrying a child and telling you how through that what what is happening how the social orders are structured like for example margaret mead films uh, are a classic example of such films it's it's highly debatable debatable uh, because her works are really phenomenal for the anthropological community, but at the same time, it has not aged very well. So that that would be a classic example for, for that. This very aesthetic is reproduced in majority of documentary of nonfiction films that have uh, that were produced back then, or even are produced even today, which which captures images and tells you what 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 is actually happening so basically stripping off the agency of i would say the participant the collaborator who is being filmed and who is being talked about and also to a certain extent taking off the agency of the audience who is who is also a certain participant there so that is one aesthetic that you can for sure see uh, in these in these films let's say yeah but if I understand you correctly, these kinds of aesthetics of othering, the, the, the white male voice explaining images um, from the off, 
um, all these kinds of practices, they are not only prevalent in, let's say, old-fashioned ethnographic documentaries from the 50s and 60s, but this is a kind of aesthetics that is still used um, widely in documentaries today. Would you then say that this heritage of colonialism is still alive in filmmaking everywhere? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> very, very, very much. And to add to that, uh, I would also want to argue maybe personally that these nuanced conversation of what we are having right now is, 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 is being unfortunately practiced by a very small, let's say, niche uh, crowd out there who is aware of, of, let's say, you know, the effect that you talk about. And that's the first step. And to deconstruct it is way beyond because to equip yourselves to with, with those kind of tools to be aware also comes with a certain kind of privilege, so which we can talk about later. But I'll jump back to uh, these, and that's exactly why these aesthetics are still being perpetuated everywhere, because there is not enough room or space to really question. Okay, and also to a certain extent, it's, it's being practiced. And people know, you know, like in film language also, when it's, it's a safe zone, like especially in TV, uh, all these films that you see in TV have, have, as you know, if you observe closely, have these kind of aesthetics, because it's, it's a safe space. And the commissioning editor assumes that the audience is aware of this language and it's an easy consumption for them. So it, it demands the from the creator to perpetuate those, those let's say, uh, the language, uh, which, which for sure emerges from these methods. Uh, having said that, I just want to add a bit to these practices, let's say. It's not about, it's, not, it's just not situated or limited in these images or image practice of, you know, the white male voice and, uh, and, and yeah, these othering images anymore, because that's there for sure. But even the films or works that doesn't necessarily come across that, for sure are again situated in the process of that emerge from these colonial practices. Because when I say process, a film doesn't just exist in its final product, because a lot of us believe that okay film is there like a book would it's it's there you buy a dvd you watch it on netflix and that's it but like any other every other artistic process it em emerged from an idea and lives on in the heads of the audience as ideas so the life of a film is uh, like many other ideas you know it goes on and on and on it's a continuum so at every step of of these processes these practices that emerge from these colonial practices are being perpetuated, are being practiced, and sadly not being deconstructed or questioned. Like one small example to add to that would be, I, as I said, I come from India. I grew up consuming films. My practice comes from also watching films. Uh, and the documentaries that we consume are always from the West. And when I say from the West, about filmmakers, generally male, uh, who came, white male who came to India and made films about the marginalized communities 
who I don't know would have lived like let's say four kilometers from my house, but I needed to watch a film about them produced by the Sundance and the Idfa to to really know about this community. Let's say so if you really look at it, isn't it? the same kind of practices being perpetuated somebody from the west comes with a certain fantasy of the orient or you know east finds marginalized stories says it i don't know what they give back to the community with that because nobody's asking them then goes back with the film mostly for the glory and benefits that fall on the filmmaker so how different is it from what it was happening i don't know 40 50 years ago or even 100 years ago how different i would like to ask and question yeah so what you're saying is then that for a different kind of aesthetics in film you also need a different kind of process in filmmaking yeah? and that is also what you're self trying to do also in your current film project so can you tell us a bit more how how does for you this decolonial process of filmmaking look like at the moment i'm working on a film wherein i'm collaborating uh, with uh, individuals from the non binary and transgender community uh, in berlin and germany uh, i'm i'm on a long term journey investigating readings and counter readings of the body and with that how we find bodily belonging through as i said uh, through the lens of non binary identities and their lived experiences having said that it's it's very interesting when when you look at look at you know just from a bird's eye view what's happening because right now to to put it very bluntly here comes i don't know a filmmaker from the uh, i you know ghetto from india and comes to this uh, predominantly white uh, privileged space and here he comes to make a film about you it's it's in a in in a comical way just a way of i don't know reversing the gaze to a certain extent which i also yeah to a certain extent also believe in but the difference is i'm not going to do the same thing that was done before that's the biggest difference i'm not here to take revenge or something but i'm here having seen the problems as we are talking about or the issues because these issues yonas have a certain kind of bodily response in me and us that for the longest time like when we see let's say something misogynistic or you know something outright brute and we don't know what it is but we are like Whoa. you know it riles you up so it's similar to me when these practices you see are being perpetuated in some way or the other so how do we go about first of all like how do we go about not doing the same thing again so yeah i think it starts from being aware of what they were in the first place i think that's what we talked about a little bit and secondly is to for sure try not to fall into those traps and then slowly but steadily create new ways because uh, i i am a process driven practitioner a film practitioner and uh, when i say process driven i don't come with a case or an agenda uh, but i generally come yeah with 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 what i am with my body and i work together with my collaborators and with my participants who to a certain extent give uh, have put 
generally put so much trust on me so i'm aware of that and and that generally takes time so so that's the first investment i put into any project is time i'm not here to make a film in a month or two months or three months and run away because i am not one of those and i have nothing to do with that work uh but i generally invest in a long period of time it could be months it could be years for example this project i've been working for almost 20 months now and it's still ongoing so i don't know how long it will take but within this project there are a few methods that uh, i think with the process i have developed which i'm very happy to share uh because it's no secret or something it's something i really would like to also share with whom i come across so firstly like the one of the first chapters i produced for the film uh was with a collaborator in munster from the moment we met there was a great connection and uh even before i forget picking up the camera the first thing that while we had the conversation was to set up the intention and to be open and honest about the intention and when i say that it's not just about me but also to know from my collaborator why they are invested and interested in working on this film with me what is in in it for them so that's one of the first questions that i ask and try to answer together with my collaborators my intention and what's their intention even before we start anything so and of course it doesn't have to be the same throughout but that's how we start after that of course then we move into the narrative move into the story uh and for me it's also important to equip them with the idea that i come with my camera and with the power of my camera there is no running away and there is no not acknowledging what the interruption of a camera does to any kind of relation so we all know how we we fumble and uh, you know are not ourselves in front of the camera which i am not also trying to create any original because be it fiction because a lot of people have this misconception that non fiction films are real are close to reality but but a lot of us will will shout out no <laughs> it's it's a creation it's a it's another reality being produced like a fiction film so please be aware of that also so having said that that's also something i tend to bring forth with my participants because i don't expect them to be film practitioners so because the camera would do something to us let's be aware of it and it's my gaze and this is what a big conversation opener is is the gaze my gaze and when i say my gaze what gaze is it uh, that's where gives me the sight to open up about myself to be a certain extent vulnerable about myself and also to bring forth where i come from what films that i have seen what kind of films that i would like to make what kind of stories i am attracted to what kind of people i am attracted to like you know all of these larger or smaller questions and while answering that a lot of a lot of topics around gaze is answered with with or discussed with with my collaborators which is super important to me uh because I come from India we still have a colonial hangover in some way or the other and we carry we embody the the many different ways in which colonialism still exists in the fabric of our society and to a certain extent I carry I still carry how much ever I deny it or you know 
I'm not aware of it. So, and all these processes also give me a chance to really look, confront myself and see, hey man, this is, this is not cool. <laughs> you know, you just look at where it comes from. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's how I discuss the gaze, my gaze, and the, the power and of my camera. And that's the second step. And then, the, then the, the subsequent steps are mostly based around communication and making sure from then on at every step that my participants and collaborators have complete agency of their representation. And this is the crux of at what everything I do, that who I work with has complete agency of how they are being represented. And if there is anywhere they feel not comfortable or, you know, having any doubts, I don't want to reproduce that image. I just take it out. It just is away somewhere in the pixel world, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it, I would say. Some of the practices, yeah. And when you describe all these fascinating ways in which you try to counter the colonial gaze, in which you try to come up with different processes of how to make film, you also say that this is more than just a simple inversion of practices of the past, but it's a very careful way to explore together with the participants of the film what kind of visual politics of affect everybody is comfortable with and try to explore that. And I would assume this is a complicated process and it takes quite some time. And maybe to come back to the beginning of our conversation where we started with the old-fashioned anthropological ethnographic films, what you're describing Uh, there is also probably something that anthropology as a discipline in academia is also trying to do, right? Take, take more time, be more collaborative, be more careful, try really to find out what is happening. What do you think the relationship of... Um, because in the, in the end, filmmaking remains a Western practice, right? With these Western roots. I mean, you also study then in a way quite intensively this Western practice, um, and that points to a problem of every filmmaker, I would think, in the doing decolonial films in the colonial world and to a certain degree with colonial instruments. So how do you handle these unavoidable contradictions? Wow, uh, that's, I think that's one of the biggest conflicts or contradictions that we are going through. I, I don't think, to put it short, I would have an answer to that or I'm attempting to answer that. But with my practice and with what I do with each day, I think it's a journey wherein me and a lot of us are trying to discover and deconstruct all these methods that are st still happening. Do we have the answers yet to all of this? Maybe no, but as they say, a journey for to a thousand miles starts with a few steps, right? And also... While we hike, we don't look at the mountain peak, but just the next step. So I think that's also how it translates. For example, just stepping a couple of minutes back, these practices that we discussed with you, uh, I just discussed with you, I mean, of course, they are anthropologically informed methods, as you rightly put. 
but it just emerges with the project with the process and i hope given the time space to to invest in more immersions like these for me and for for people like me for artists like me uh, i'm sure more methods would emerge more more devices would emerge to counter these and i'm sure we'll have one day when we when we'll be able to really say that yeah a lot of humongous uh, problematic systems of colonialism are being slowly deconstructed i mean i'm sure you would also resonate with that because it's 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 not something that can be done by the turn of a switch right so but within filmmaking yes within filmmaking you are absolutely right it's it's very much a western practice but at the same time it has been adopted by each culture like that's what i was trying to share with you like for example in india it has a very strong uh in film culture like the indian films are also their own genre today like in uh, across the world and it has influences from its own theater and mythology and and its own visual culture let's say so i think like every every practice it it evolves and adopts uh so film also did and does so i'm sure if if that can happen if if a small group of us or whatever group of us go with this mission or endeavor to really try i don't know if it's about just being an activistic move of changing things but at, at least for sure not reproducing and trying to innovate you know it's also problem solving to a certain extent I'm like, no we don't want to do these conventional methods let's try something new so with that energy with that playfulness uh, as i said not, not just being an activist there but with that playfulness with that artistry uh, if we approach this i'm sure a lot of fun unconventional methods will come out Arjun, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Yunus. Yeah, yeah, this was a pleasure.